Hello and good morning. Welcome to church. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for being here. LifeBridge, we, uh, we gather together on Sundays because we value community and worshiping in community. We value belonging together. We, we like to say that, that life-changing community is never easy, but it's always worth it. And church is about belonging to a new family, that, that our, our shared identity and our shared um, values are built around, around the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and God's will for us. And so that's why we gather together and we, and we seek to find belonging together around those things. We want to say welcome. If you are visiting, if you're newer and you want to learn more about our church, there's cards in the seat back, so the chairs you can fill out and you can drop in a drop box on either end of the hallway. And uh, we would love to connect with you. I also want to remind you guys about my life bridge. My life bridge at church is the best place to stay up to date if you're looking to uh, just kind of understand what's going on or, or check in on what we have coming up, things like that. We also have our uh, daily devotional that goes out on my life bridge, both in written form and in audio form. Uh, and we, we post uh, podcast sermons as well. So if you miss a Sunday, you can catch up on a sermon that way. You can give online from there. And you can sign up for email and text updates. We, we send out an email about once a week and the occasional text update for things like a cancellation or a change or a reminder, things like that. So that's mylifebridge.church. We want to thank you for your giving. Thank you for supporting our mission financially. You can do that online, lifebridge.church. We have Venmo as well, and there are giving boxes on each end of the hallway. When you give, it helps us meet needs both locally and globally. We have ministry partners here locally that we partner with, and we have international partners around the world that we partner with. And your giving helps us support our ministry partners, along with doing the, the more operational costs around here, keeping the lights on, etc. And uh, But church is a lot more than Sunday mornings, and uh, and so that key, something, that's something to keep in mind because sometimes our, our framework is we only, see, uh, we only see the hour so that we're together on Sundays. There's a lot more that happens. There's a lot more that we're supporting and investing in. So thank you again for supporting uh, financially. If you have any questions about our finances, uh, feel free to reach out and uh, we, will, we will share with you whatever you'd like to know. I also want to remind you guys that we have the Pursuit Conference coming up June 5th through the 12th. The 5th and the 12th, our Sundays, we'll have guest speakers. And Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, the 7th through the 9th, we will have events here those evenings that include, that include food and childcare to make it very easy for you to be a part of. So we encourage you to carve out that time on your calendar and be here. We've got discipleship courses we're going to be running, and, uh, and we're doing a soul care night on Wednesday the 8th as well, talking about identity. We will have a more detailed sign-up card um, next week and, and a chance to get signed up in RSVP for those things. You can also go to lifebridge.church forward slash conference and RSVP there as well. Our idea with these conferences is we don't, we don't want to contribute to cluttering people's calendars. We know life gets really busy. So rather than having stuff running all the time, we have four times a year that we, that we pack a few things into a week and we really focus in on discipleship together. And so it's an important week to participate in and to prioritize um, your discipleship and your growth as we do that together. So that is the Pursuit Conference coming up June 5th through the 12th and we hope that you will join, join us for it. And with that, I want to welcome up my good friend and I'd like, to, I, I'd like to call him a colleague as well. And his name is Pastor John Adams, so would you give, give him a warm welcome? <laughs> First service, we made the joke that he, he like paused awkwardly when he said he was going to welcome up. So I thought he was going to say, I'd like to welcome up 
and then pause and then say like Luke or Bevan or something and make me awkwardly walk up and then turn around and walk back. But he didn't. Okay. We play those mind games a lot. All right. So our campaign is called The Pursuit. Uh, if you've been joining us this, these last weeks, we've been talking about what healthy personal growth in a self-absorbed world really looks like for followers of Jesus. Now, before we dive into this, would you guys join with me in a word of prayer? Father, as we open your word, I pray that your spirit would stir in our hearts, Lord, that you would call us to the truth of your word, that you would call us, Lord, to worship you more and to better love and serve others. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the first three weeks of this campaign, we spent a lot of time just talking about a biblical concept of the self and what it means to be human, how we're created in the image of God, and how we're also mortal, how we're fallen, and so we should have a healthy skepticism of our pursuits and motives of what is really driving us. Uh, we're new creations in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, then he has made you new. And so in the topic of what we are pursuing, because we are new creations in Christ, what we pursue should be rooted in and based in that new identity that we have in Jesus. If it's not, then we will be left unfulfilled and unsatisfied because it doesn't coincide with our true nature of who we really are. Two weeks ago, we talked about what do you long for the most? I just love that question. What do you long for the most? We all have this heart compass that's taking us somewhere. Is it Christ? Or is it something or someone else? Last week we saw that if we're seeking Jesus, he truly satisfies our deepest longings and desires. That we do find satisfaction and fulfillment in other things like a good job, like family, like good relationships, but those don't satisfy in the deepest levels of who we are like pursuing Christ does. Christ constantly throughout the gospels calls people to himself. They're seeking food, they're seeking water, they're seeking relationship, but he calls them to himself and they find that fulfillment and peace in him. Today what we're gonna talk about is pursuing a life of service to others. And as we've been doing in this campaign, I've uh, just kind of been honing in on the book of Philippians pretty much every time I kind of open up and start thinking about a topic and, and texts that come to mind on that topic. It always kind of draws me back to the book of Philippians. So we're kind of going through it in reverse order. We started in chapter 3. We went back to chapter 1. And today we're going to be in chapter Two, we're kind of just bouncing all, all throughout the book. And if you remember, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians from uh, prison, most likely in Rome. And he said, even from prison, he has found the secret of contentment, to be content no matter his circumstances. And in doing so, he has found joy in Christ and contentment and peace. <clears throat> so let's begin by reading here in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. Uh, we're going to read through verse 4, and then at the end we'll read the, read the rest, through verse 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Okay, so he's asking in verse 1 here these hypothetical questions, right? If you have experienced these things. And the, the obvious answer is, like, yes, they have. Okay, so if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, these experiences will ring true for you. Like, these will be common, and you will 
Understand where he's coming from here because these will be your experiences as well. Encouragement from being united with Christ. When you think about how you are united with Christ and how your life is tied to his, how you are in Christ, so your goals are his goals, your values are his kingdom values and the things that you are striving. Remember, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. His entire identity, everything about him was wrapped up in Jesus. So remember, he's facing trial, and he may be executed, or he may be set free. And he says that phrase, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So if he dies, he's with Jesus, as we talked about last week, and good for him, no more suffering, no more pain, is the way he's thinking about it, because he's had a rough go of things the last few years. But if he is to go on living, which is what we focus on, it will be for Christ. Everything will be in Christ. So if you find encouragement from being united with Christ, in spite of your circumstances, where Paul had been in prison and beaten and shipwrecked and all of this bad stuff had happened to him, yet he's still encouraged because he's united to Christ. If any comfort from his love, if when you think of the love of God towards you, it should bring comfort to your inner life. If any common sharing in the spirit, that's the community uh, together where we all have different gifts given us by the Holy Spirit operating together to create a little microcosm of the kingdom right here in Burlington. So if we have this common sharing of the Spirit, so if you're uh, uh, experiencing the work of the Spirit in your life, producing fruit in you, in your character, love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit, also the Spirit of God at work within the body of Christ, equipping, gifting us, and gifting you as an individual to do good work in the community for others. So if you've experienced that, which if you're a Christian, you have, if any tenderness and compassion, so if if your reaction to Jesus and him changing your life has not, is not described by tenderness and compassion, by an increase in compassion for others, then you're not modeling the life of actual, the actual Jesus. Because Jesus was compassionate throughout his ministry. It comes up time and time again how he had compassion on the crowds and had compassion on people. So simply, when we look at this in verse 1, we should read that this is a different description than we would describe the Christian life by. But what Paul is doing is just pointing out to us, hey, if you're a Christian, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, you should have these experiences. This should kind of describe your life with Christ to some degree. It says then, and he assumes this to be true. Like, if this is your experience, which he's assuming to be true because he's writing to the church in Philippi, those who are Christians, then do this. Make my joy complete. He talks a lot about joy in this book. And remember, even from a Roman prison, he can talk about having joy and contentment. Make my joy complete because Paul's greatest longing is for the churches to be representing Christ, for them to be whole and for them to be uh, fully committed to Jesus. Make my joy complete. That would make his joy complete. By doing what? Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of, of one mind. So in the context here from the chapter above, what he's talking about is the gospel. He's talking, uh, he, he says a few verses earlier, uh, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is one of my favorite verses that I put on my daily agenda so that I remember it. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he's talking about the gospel. So what should we be like-minded around? The gospel. Uh, the same love, Christ, his kingdom, the gospel message, and being one and being united together in pursuit of the kingdom and gospel values. 
So if I say the word gospel and you're unclear on what I mean, you gotta come to the Ownership 101 course where we outline the, the gospel of Jesus and we outline the gospel of Christ. We talk about this is what it looks like to own your faith because this is central to the Christian faith and what we should be united around. Of course, we can have differences. We can be of different minds politically. And Think about how the kingdom of God and the kingdom values and the gospel should be, uh, should be interacting with the culture and the community around us, whether it's in politics or other spheres uh, like entertainment, other industries within our culture. That's fine. We can disagree about that stuff, but we have to be of like uh, be like-minded, having the same love of one spirit and one mind when it comes to the gospel in the church community, okay? So that's what he's talking about. We don't have to be uniform, all the same, but we must be united around the gospel of Jesus. And then he goes on here, and this is, the, this is the line that caught my attention as I was thinking about our campaign topic of the pursuit. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. <laughs> nothing in Greek means nothing, Right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So if you are a Christian, okay? So remember, he's, he's talking to people who are Christians. So if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're exempt. You can do as much as you want out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Go for it. This is, this is restricted to people who are claiming to follow Christ and who are actual followers of Jesus, which is a high calling. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain Conceit. That line in and of itself is worth reflecting on for the entire week. I could just leave it there, right? And you can just sit and think about all the things that you did this week, this last week, all the plans that you have for next week, and think, how much of this is out of selfish ambition and vain conceit? And I think that will be challenging enough for you. So I invite you to do that, because it's good for you. <laughs> it may hurt a little bit, but it's good for you. <clears throat> In fact, that word selfish ambition, uh, it's not often used. Uh, translators had a difficult time uh, coming up with the actual meaning of the term. It's not used elsewhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, Greek. It's also not used in other texts around the same time that the New Testament was written. But Aristotle uses it a lot, and when he does, he used it to ref uh, refer to the self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. That word selfish ambition, Aristotle used it a lot to refer to the self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. And again, when I read that, it was just like light bulbs going off, right? <laughs> I don't have to give you specific examples, but you can think of politicians who are full of selfish ambition <laughs> and vain conceit. They will do whatever it takes. They will backstab. They will lie, they will smear their opponent, they will slander their opponent, all to just get elected or to reach the next level of office, to acquire more power. People haven't changed much from the ancient world because we're still struggling with that today, right? So when we look at, I think it's still a great example, when we look at how political leaders often, many, not all of them, right, attempt to gain the next status or that next position in their career or to even get elected, oftentimes they do so by unfair or unjust means. So baseline Christian ethic, okay? We shouldn't look at that and say, that's what we need to do to win, okay? <laughs> that's baseline. 
We should never look to the political sphere and see people who are full of selfish ambition and vain conceit, striving through unfair, unjust means to get ahead and say, that's what we need to do to win the culture war. That is not the way of Jesus, okay? So bottom line, that needs to get out of our heads in the church today. That is not the approach for Christians, period, end of story. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, that should be our approach to life. And he's going to outline what that looks like in a minute. What he's talking about here is pride. Don't pursue things in your life out of pride, just for yourself. And every time I think of pride, I always go back to the words of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, which if you've never read this book, I could not recommend it more. Uh, if you've read it, I would encourage you to read at least part of it again. It's chapter eight on pride. This has been one of the most formational texts in my life apart from the scriptures itself. I read this early on when I was a Christian and this transformed the way that I think about pride and humility. He says, there is one vice, so uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Narnia series. He lived uh, in the middle of the 20th century in uh, England. I don't know how much background you need, but that should suffice. All right, uh, you can Wikipedia C.S. Lewis if you want. Okay, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. <laughs> and the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. That one I could sit and reflect on and chew on for hours. Seriously, when you read this book, carve out time. You're going to want to sit and think and chew. The more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. He goes on to talk about how pride is by nature competitive after this. And how a prideful person will, will never... Why, when they have $10 million, will they be striving to get $20 million? Because somebody else has more than them, so they're just trying to get ahead of them is his assessment of it. They will never be content as long as somebody has more than them because their pride is driving them to be better and to have more than the other person. The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Such a direct statement. Pride leads to every other vice. When you think about the sins and the vices that you struggle with, most likely they're like branches on a tree that all come back to the same trunk, and the trunk is your pride. Your trunk is your own selfishness and your own advancement in life. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. I wish I could just read the whole chapter to you. Maybe I should. But in it, he says, <laughs> if you are an extremely prideful person claiming to believe in God, then you have a false sense of who God is. Because when you, a mere mortal, a human being, come up against something infinitely more powerful, more glorious, more grand than you, how can you be prideful <laughs> if you have an actual true concept of God? 
Now, of course, this is something that we all struggle with on a regular basis in our sinful nature, and you will never fully be rid of your pride. But the Christian life is a constant life of identifying your pride and seeking to become more humble in those areas where you are prideful. It is a constant life of identifying pride and becoming humble in those areas that you'll never be done with, but is a worthy endeavor. Then he goes on. Okay, so that's the negative imperative. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Again, that's plenty for us to chew on in our lives already, especially when it comes to our pursuits. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So we've already talked about the image of God. So what he's not saying is like ascribe a monetary value to each person and they're worth more than you are. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Uh, everybody has dignity created in the image of God. There's no like monetary value that we can place on a human life. Value others above yourselves. What does he mean by that? He explains it in the next line. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. What Paul is getting at here is just this absolutely profound idea when it comes to humility uh, and how we don't become humble by thinking about how humble we are. (laughs) That's pride. (laughs) And the devil is really good at twisting that and making you think you're really humble when you're actually just more proud of your humility. The answer to becoming a humble person is just think about other people more. (laughs) Don't think about yourself so much. C.S. Lewis says it this way also, again, in Mere Christianity. Same chapter at the end of it. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. (laughs) The British charm is just wonderful. You gotta look up a lot of words, but yeah. (laughs) Who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably, all you will think about him is that he is a is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. (laughs) If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. (laughs) Oh, man, trying to think of the author, and I'm blanking. Oh, well, Um, the secret to humility is not thinking about yourself. It's just taking an interest in other people's lives. (laughs) When you're in a conversation, how refreshing is it to just be talking to someone who's genuinely curious about you? Who, while you're talking, they listen. Because they're actually curious about what you have to say. It's so refreshing and yet so rare. Because humility is not just claiming that you're super humble and that you are nothing in comparison. (laughs) I can't say it the way he says it. It's just genuinely thinking about other people a lot (laughs) and being kind to them. So here's our big idea. And band, you guys can come and get set up. Pursue a life of humility, looking to the interests of others. Pursue a life of humility, I could say by looking to the interests of others. Because again, remember, humility is not thinking less of yourself, 
just thinking of yourself less. <laughs> Rick Warren, there it is. Rick Warren said that in his book, <laughs> The Purpose Driven Life. So the secret is not to think about how humble you are. That's just pride masquerading as humility, strangely enough. Instead, we just look to the interests of others and care about others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but look to the interests of others and care for them. Let's pray, and I'll come back up and apply this in a moment. Lord, God, we thank you for your word that calls us to humility, calls us to identify the areas of our pride and our selfishness, our vain conceit, Lord. We confess and we know that we are full of it, full of our pride. But Lord, we trust that your word is true, and that Jesus, your way of living is the best way to live in the fullness of life that you give us. And so Lord, as countercultural as it is and how strange it seems to us, we wanna remove our pride. Pray that your spirit would do your work in us to remove our pride. And Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you, that you might lift us up. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now let's stand and worship the one who is infinitely greater than us and give him praise and glory. If you need prayer while we're singing, Michael and Kathleen are in the back. Love Father God, we humble our hearts before you so that we can worship you. Lord, we can't worship without humility. We know that you are God and we are not. And Lord, we thank you for how you have chosen to use your power and privilege to love, to serve, to give your life as a ransom for many. Jesus, you humbled yourself. You are our model for life. So Lord, we endeavor to be humble, to worship you, to think of you more, and to love others more. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments here. Yet again, our big idea is to pursue a life of humility, looking to the interests of others. And remember, the secret to humility isn't to think of how humble of a person I am, because that's pride, right? Instead, it's simply to look to the interests of others, to think about others more, to take a genuine interest in the lives of people around you. I invite you to practice today. When you go to the grocery store, when you encounter your neighbor, in all of the ways that we have these small little meetings, when you're hanging out with your spouse or your children or your family today, just genuinely take an interest in them in who they are, in what they need right now, and care for them. Life-changing concept. Yet this concept often, it's so simple too, right? It's so simple. We all know it. It's just a struggle to actually follow through on it. This concept, it's one that often gets lost in our world of uh, self-care and personal awareness. So uh, we're talking about healthy personal growth in a self-absorbed world. Right, our world is very self-absorbed because that is the natural state of all of us apart from Christ. 
We spend so much time doing things like personality surveys, being aware of our mental and emotional states, and our mental and emotional health. We celebrate in our culture individuals who have learned to take their personal, mental, emotional, physical health and well-being uh, over and against what their job and career may demand of them. And in so many ways, this is such a good thing. <laughs> this is great. It's wonderful. I think it's great progress in the right direction. The pendulum just tends to swing, right? From like no self-care and personal awareness to like all self-care <laughs> and personal awareness. This has been my journey over the last few years. Uh, what I've learned as a pastor for the last eight years or so is to value self-care and personal awareness. Done lots of personality studies, read a lot of books on it, and all of that stuff, and saw a counselor over my sabbatical, and that continued on last year. Learned a lot of really good stuff. Because what I found is, like every few years, if I'm not doing that, I, I just burn out. And I'm mentally, emotionally completely exhausted. And when I'm in that phase of just uh, exhaustion phase, call it, when I'm just like burned out and exhausted, I find that my anxiety levels go way up and even the smallest things tend to overwhelm me. And through the process of learning that about myself and self-care and personal awareness, I've learned to identify when that's happening. And seeing my counsel, I've learned a lot of like, good tricks to help, like good little things to do, like 10-second breathing. I got to sit for 10 minutes and think about my breath going in and out. Or every, breathe in for five seconds and breathe out for five seconds. I make sure I'm sleeping. I make sure I take care of, I get my exercise in. Uh, do all of that stuff. Sometimes I'll just like go set up my hammock and take a nap out at a park, right? It's fun. It's good. It's great. I need it. It's good stuff. But what I've come to realize over the course of this process of learning this about myself and beginning this journey into like self-care and personal awareness is my self-care is not the end. That is not the telos. That is not the purpose for which I am striving towards with that. In our secular world, and from a secular perspective, that is the end. Like That's the good that people strive towards, is increasing my happiness, or my health, or my personal self-care. That's the end for them. It's only through the Christian perspective that we can see that as not the end. We know ourselves and we care for ourselves so that we may better worship God and serve others. Because through my story, I've realized that I'm no good <laughs> to my spouse, Savannah, and my kids. I'm no good to you as the church if I'm burned out. So I care for myself, but that's not the end. Because if I focus on that as the end, I'll become completely self-absorbed. <laughs> and I will justify doing all of the things that I want as self-care. When it's like, now you're kind of just being selfish, right? <laughs> and that's where many secular spaces are. Is it just has become all about self-care when really it's just self a self-absorbed approach to life. So that's not the end for Christians. Remember our quote from St. Augustine. 
that we began this campaign with. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? He says, grant, Lord, that I may know myself. Why? That I might know thee. The purpose, which he understood in the fourth century, <laughs> was better worship of God. So self-care is not the end. It's helpful. It's good. We need it. It is worship of God and love of others that is the end. So Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the end. That's the purpose for which we are striving and pursuing. So the application of this is tricky. <laughs> it's nuanced. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not, I can't just say, do this. I can't just say to everybody in here, yourself, you're being too selfish. Think of others more, right? Because some of you may find that you've been thinking of others all the time, and you're burned out. And you probably need to take a little bit of time for self-care and personal awareness to know yourself a little bit more. I find that when I'm in that phase of just exhaustion, that my private worship is just stale. It's, I don't, I don't have the words to say. I don't have any emotional response towards God in worship or in when I'm reading scripture and praying. It's just, I just flatline. If you're becoming cynical towards other people and just, kind of grouchy and not living in the compassion and tenderness that we get from Christ. It's another good sign that you need to maybe pump the brakes, <laughs> rest a little bit, reconnect with God, do some self-care so that you can better worship God and love others. Not so you can stay there in a life of self-absorption, but so you can give your best to God and give your best to others. And so I invite you to now just take a moment, take a couple moments here to take inventory of your day and your thoughts over the last week or so. How much time have you spent thinking about God and others? How much time do you spend thinking about your needs, about what you want, or how you can better serve and love other people? how you can better worship God. Also take inventory of your five to 10 year, maybe 20 year goals. How much of what you are pursuing is in the best interest of God and the kingdom of God and worship to him? Or if all of your goals and dreams come true that you are pursuing is purely for your own family's benefits or for your own benefit. Take a few moments reflecting on that. Remember, our pride is very deceptive in these areas. Just reflect for a couple minutes here.
Now as we close, I want to wrap with the words of the Apostle Paul, which is, I think, the greatest motivation for us to pursue a life of humility and look to the interests of others, not just our own. <laughs> and it's the example of Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's calling us to model Christ in the way that he lived. Now, if Jesus had come as a leadership guru, financial manager, wealth management guy who became king and ruled with great power and authority and might over his subjects, we would be totally justified in pursuing those things, <laughs> in pursuing power and pursuing a life of just wealth and influence. But he didn't. And this is our savior. Our whole life revolves around him. If we are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus means you're committing to following his way. That what Jesus taught and the way Jesus lived is truly the best way to live and what God desires for us. It is the path to the fullness of life. And here's what Paul says about Jesus in his life. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. There's a lot of talk about privilege and advantaged people in our culture today. And this is how Christians are to approach privilege and advantage. This is how we are to think about it because this is the way Jesus approached it and the way Jesus lived in his own privilege and advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, or he emptied himself of many of his privileges and rights as divinity by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So when Jesus was incarnated and made man, Fully God, fully man, two natures unmingled in one person. He still restricted some of his divine privileges. When he was on earth, he didn't have perfect foreknowledge as he does now. There was a time where he says, only the Father knows this when the end will come. He experienced pain and suffering that in his body that divinity shouldn't experience. He got hungry. He experienced grief and loss and sadness and pain. So he restricted some of his rights and privileges as divinity. And being found in human appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So as if the incarnation wasn't enough, being beco becoming man wasn't humbling enough, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So not only did he humble himself by becoming human, taking on human, human nature, but he died. Talk about the greatest privilege of being divine is you have resurrection, eternal life within yourself. And he died. And he was willing to go to the cross. And not just any death. He... he <laughs> He's the only one who had been totally justified in coming to earth and saying, everybody worship me. <laughs> but he comes, he's made a servant, and he dies a 
a slave's death on a cross. Brutal, humiliating, painful torture. Because he didn't use his privileges as divinity for his own advantage, but to advantage us. Therefore, because of how he humbled himself, just as the words of the book of James say, humble yourself before the Lord that he will lift you up. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if this is the way Jesus lived, our Savior lived, this should be our approach to life as well. To not use the privileges that we have for our own selfish ambitions and vain conceit, for our own pursuits. Instead, to love others, to care for others. To disadvantage ourselves to advantage somebody else. so that we can better worship God. That is the rightful pursuit of the Christian life. And so often if we just strive and pursue these selfish ambitions, we end up going into this black hole of pride. And it's really a dark place a sad place to be. It is the, the place of lost humanity who cannot worship God, who cannot give themselves in love and service to others. So Christian, this is what we should pursue because this is what our Savior did. So if we trust that this is the best way to live, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then this is, should be our pursuit. It's not not trendy. <laughs> it's not what everybody else is pursuing. But it is the way of Jesus. And in it is fullness of life. Lord, we thank you for not only teaching us the best way to live and the best way to be human and to follow your way, but Lord, living it yourself, following through on it, having all <laughs> of the privilege, all of the rights as divinity. And yet, Lord, not holding on to them for your own advantage, but being willing to die for us in our place. Lord, would you stir within our hearts, move us to humble ourselves, Lord, that we could take interest in the lives of others and what they need and not just our own that we can better worship you, God, for who you are, for you are infinitely more glorious, more worthy of worship than us. So Lord, we humble ourselves and we worship you. And Lord, we trust that your way is truly the best way to live. And in it, we will find fulfillment, contentment, joy, and peace. Not in just pursuing our own selfish needs and personal ambitions, just to make ourselves happy. We love you, Lord. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and praise our Savior with one more song. Again, if you need prayer, there's prayer available in the back.